The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Well, I'm going to get us uh, started here this evening, and uh, it's my joy to be able to come and to uh, share with you a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart, one that I think if you've spent any time um, doing biblical counseling or just been engaged in life in general, um, you will run across uh, this issue. And uh, my hope is uh, for all of us to spend some time in God's Word today and uh, be able to see exactly what it is that God's Word would speak to this topic. And so by just kind of way of introduction, let me let you know who I am a little bit. If you were there for the panel discussion I shared just briefly about myself, I'm uh, David Wojnicki, one of the pastors and elders at Valley Center Community Church, uh, just about 15 miles uh, away from here. Um, and uh, I've been serving there for the last, uh, this is my 12th year, Susan, 12th year here at the church. Yeah, and, uh, and so it's been a joy to, to be there and during that time um, to be able really from the beginning uh, to be a part of the biblical counseling um, ministry that our church does. Uh, all the pastors, all the elders on staff uh, devote a lot of time and energy to uh, ministering uh, to those both within the congregation and often outside the community. People come to us and, uh, and so it's my joy to be able uh, to do that. And so um, that's why tonight when I was asked uh, what topic I wanted to um, share and talk about, uh, I told Craig I'd love to come and speak to this issue of uh, reconciliation and specifically how the gospel aids counselors. And I use the word counselors here. I'm going to take this more as a seminar format. I'm going to speak to you as though you're going to take these things and potentially apply it in a specific um, area of your um, ministry. But... Um, the topic is gospel-driven reconciliation, how the gospel aids counselors in leading those in conflict towards reconciliation, because ultimately that is, uh, as I would put forth, the heartbeat of God is to see those that are, who are in broken relationship reconciled um, to one another. And so um, you can see there in the introduction and in the handout that uh, counselors are often tasked with helping individuals resolve conflict. Uh, I should probably get an amen to that. Um, the process of reconciliation can be challenging and tumultuous. I could probably get an amen to that as well. Uh, and so this seminar examines how the gospel not only serves as the foundation for reconciliation, but how it empowers those who are struggling to be reconciled to one another. And so my aim, my hope today is to be able to walk through with you one particular passage of scripture. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend a bulk of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and use that as the template, if you will, for how we can help those who are in conflict with someone else, who are in the process or, or have a broken relationship with someone, how we can use God's word to, to help them um, work through that and take the steps of reconciliation. And uh, and so what I want to I do in just a moment is ask the Lord's help in doing that. But, but before I pray, I also want to be specific on something, and that is we're not going to walk through the entire process of reconciliation. What I'm really focusing on is, for me, what is often the hardest part of the reconciliation process, and that's getting it started. How do we take people who are experiencing hurt and pain and brokenness because of someone's sin against them or because of potentially their own sin? How do we, with the help of God's Word, help them make that first step towards reconciliation and then allow God's word 
and the Holy Spirit to lead the rest of the process. And so, so that's what you're going to see me kind of build towards. So let's ask the Lord for his help as we would do that tonight, and then um, we will uh, dive right in. Heavenly Father, we are just uh, overjoyed at the ability to gather together and to spend dedicated time listening to your word, meditating upon um, your truths, and seeing how glorious um, you are through your son Jesus Christ and the work that, that he has, has done. And right now, Lord, my prayer is that we would continue in that vein, that out of everything that is said and done from your word, that first and foremost, you would be glorified, and then, Lord, that the saints would be edified. And so uh, may you help us uh, in this process. May those things which we might hear or um, think about even now be, we, pr we pray, applicable um, not only to our own lives, but to those that you might lead us to minister to. And so um, we give this time to you. Um, it is your time. And so um, help us now, we pray, by the power of your Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Uh, in your outline, you notice that uh, I had there um, three stories, uh, and I was going to begin with three stories, but, you know, when they come and they ask you to, to speak, it's often months in advance of, of the conference, and so they want a topic, they want a theme, and then they eventually want your outline and, and everything put together. And so you send those things out, and what I found is that inevitably um, God, in some way, shape, or form, uh, helps you or gives you an opportunity to apply what it is that you're going to share in a very real way, sometimes at the ninth hour. Um, and so I was going to give you three stories, but I'm just going to start with one because it happened literally two weeks ago on Father's Day. And I had to go and share with these people that um, this story that I'm going to tell you that I, I said to them later on, I said, I just want you to know uh, I'm going to be preaching on this topic in a few weeks. I'm also speaking about it at a conference. And so when you hear it in either setting, uh, don't think that I'm doing it just because of, of you. But, but here's what happened. Father's Day, we're at the uh, world-famous safari park, and I get a, uh, a text from an individual, and then I get a phone call, another phone call, and by the, by the third phone call, I decide, okay, it's Sunday. This person needs to get a hold of me, and so I pick it up. And uh, the voice on the other end is uh, a woman in our church, and she's calling me, and I can tell that she's very, very upset. Um, there seems to be anxiety in her voice, and she says, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, she says, I have something I need to share with you. I've wanted to tell you this a million times, but I haven't been able to share this with, with you. I haven't been able to share it with, with Pastor John. And then uh, today something happened, and I just I need you to know now what it is. And let me just say that if I never get one more of these phone calls in the rest of my ministry, I would be a happy and content person because uh, this is not the first one I've received. And so what she goes on to tell me is this. She says, Pastor Dave, I just want you to know I'm so ashamed. I'm so, so embarrassed. But here it is. She says, three years ago, I, um, I had an affair with an individual during a rough time in my marriage to my husband. And um, we're on vacation, we're driving back from vacation, and in the midst of what was going on in the conversation, my husband was pushing me because he kind of always assumed that something had happened, and, and so finally I told him. He made me pull the car off to the side of the road and cursed at me and cursed at those that we were with because we were traveling in a caravan with a group of people, and he walked off into the desert. And uh, she says, I just, I just don't know what to do. I don't know. 
um, what to take place. We're trying to reach out to him, but he's not answering his cell phone. And she was just completely, completely disturbed. And so um, I tried to calm her heart and tried to speak some words um, to her. Here I am at the safari park, <laughs> just walking around uh, with, with my family. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll try and, and contact him. And so I did. I, I called him, but he didn't, he didn't pick up. And I called the wife back and I said, look, if he calls you back, I said, you know, please just let him know that I'd, I'd love to be able to talk to him. And God's kindness, um, at about 9.30 that night, the husband finally called me. And uh, he, he started by saying, uh, what a Father's Day, huh? And, and I said, yeah, I heard you had a, had a pretty rough, rough day. And he just began to share with me how broken he was over what had been taking place, how his wife had not come to him and told him about the affair, although it was something that he had assumed, and the guilt that he had experienced all these years because he was so angry about something that she wouldn't con confess to. And, and so here I am on the phone with this individual. And as I've mentioned before, it's not the first time that I've been in that place, been in that place where somebody is either sitting across from me at my desk or on the phone with me because somebody has sinned against them in such a way um, that they are feeling so hurt, so broken over what has taken place that they just don't know what to do. There's so much anger, so much, so much bitterness. Um, that's a kind of an extreme example. It's kind of a heightened example, but it happens, doesn't it? All of us in life at some point or another find ourselves in a position where somebody has sinned against us. Um, where relationships that were once harmonious are now broken. And so kind of the question you see there in your notes that I kind of put to us is, what do you do um, in these kinds of stories? What, what do you say to the, to the husband that calls you literally in the middle of the desert um, and is just doesn't want to go home, doesn't want to see his wife, doesn't want to see his kids? He's just, he's just in his words, he says he's done. What, what do you say? Now, now these are two believers in the Lord. They, they, they know Christ. They would profess Christ. They would say that they love Christ. But in this moment, things are so, so raw. Can we offer hope? How do we direct them? Um, what do you do as a Christian when one of these individuals comes to you with one of the problems that I've just shared? Um, that's what I really want to get at today. Now, we know God's Word says this, um, Romans chapter 14, just one small, small verse amongst many, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. It says this, Romans 14, 19, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. All right? Um, when you have that man on the phone, um, probably not the first thing that you want to do is come to that individual and say, here's, here's what you want to do. He says, you want to pursue peace um, with your wife at, at, at all costs. You want to look to, to build her up. You, you could say that, but in the heat of the moment, maybe not the best thing to say. We know that God's word wants us to pursue peace. Paul says that in a lot of different places. We're going to look at that in just a minute. Even in 2 Corinthians, where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here in just a moment, I promise we'll get there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read these famous words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. That is, 
in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We know God's word calls those people who have been sinned against and those people who have sinned against an individual to ultimately pursue reconciliation, to work towards, as your definition um, ultimately says here, if you see there, it's down a little bit further in the handouts, but I just want to jump there right now. We know that God's word calls us to seek to reestablish proper interpersonal relations after these have been disrupted or broken. We know that God's desire is for us to see us make things right with one another. The definition that you have there in your notes is that reconciliation implies that a disruption has occurred in friendly relations because of a presumed or real provocation and therefore overt behavior designed to remove hostility and restore original friendly relations is necessary. That's a big definition of reconciliation. We know that that's in the heart of God, or even a more simple way to look at it is that to reconcile is to end a relation of enmity and to substitute for it one of peace and goodwill. This is what God would ultimately desire for, for, his, for his people. But I don't know about you, but many times those I am counseling, if they've been sinned against, they don't want to seek out peace, do they? In that moment, they aren't necessarily in a place where they are thinking about building the other person up. Um, I think even if we are honest, there have been times in our lives where somebody has done something to us, even, even a small thing. If you're married, you know what it's like when the spouse said that they were going to do something and then they broke their word, they didn't, they didn't do it, and it puts you out, it puts you in a difficult place. You're not feeling necessarily warm fuzzies towards that individual in that, in that time. And so all that people who have been sinned against typically know is the hurt and the pain that they feel. They feel unloved, and many times... I've heard them say this to me, if not outright, in a side way. How can I make this person pay for what they did to me? That's ultimately what they want. Um, not condoning that by any stretch, but I'm just saying that this is the reality. And so, so how can we help these people in this time? Um, this is where I so love the Word of God. And so what I want to share with you now is maybe some of the first steps that we can often take in helping people move towards gospel reconciliation. I do believe... Uh, that it is the gospel that motivates us and will lead us towards reconciliation with other people. But before you get there, sometimes I think it's important, as your notes say there, to help people remember and to recognize that people experience conflict in this life. Sometimes, like I was doing in the phone call with the individual that I had, sometimes they want to be sympathized with. They need to know that what they're experiencing is not completely foreign to, to everyone else but them. We live in, as I often will say, a Genesis 3 world. We live in a fallen place. People in this world experience conflict due to the fact that we are sinners by birth and sinners by choice. Um, we have been born into this sinful world. And, and sometimes I, I like just going to some scriptures. You see some of them there that just remind us of this, this truth. Um, Peter would say, um, in Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And sometimes you read a verse in the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, that is in the Bible. That's really good. I'm glad they says it. Because don't you think sometimes when something happens, a relationship that in one moment is so harmonious, the next moment is so fragmented, like how could this possibly happen? Peter says, look, these things do happen. Uh, Paul would go on to say in Romans 12, 21, I'm only going to give you the first half of the verse, do not be overcome by evil. The implication being is that there is evil in this, in this world. It's, it's real. 
John would say in, in 1 John 3.13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And then, of course, Romans 8, that classic passage which talks about all creation groans under the weight of sin. And Paul would say in Romans 3.23, For all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes the place to start with people who have been sinned against to help them begin to move towards reconciliation is to just stop and to be able to acknowledge to them that, you know what, we live in a fallen world and people sin and, and, and people do things. In fact, humans have the propensity just to mess good things up, don't we? And, and, and I like to talk to those that I'm counseling and ministering to and just saying, you know what, I understand that. Um, we all experience it. And part of my wanting to do that sometimes with a counselee, acknowledging the fact that people experience conflict, is to also help them to understand that, you know what, don't you, don't I even sometimes, aren't we part of the problem as well? Like sin is in this world. And, and one of the things that often surprises people, I, I often say this, that I'm amazed that people are surprised when people sin against them. And so I need to stop saying that I'm amazed by it because I shouldn't be because I find time again, people are surprised that somebody sinned against them, especially when it's a Christian. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, well, they were a Christian. How could they do that, right? I love passages like James 4.1 that say, writing to a church, mind you, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? <laughs> writing to a church, he's saying, look, you have struggles as Christians, don't you? Even Christians. Or, or Paul in Ephesians 4 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Why would he have to encourage us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling unless we what? Sometimes don't walk in a manner worthy of that, that, that calling. People need to be reminded of this. And then he says what that calling looks like with all humility and gentleness, with patience. He wouldn't tell us to be gentle and patient, all those things, if we didn't do it all the time, right? So he's so we live in a world that even Christians at times, despite what they know of the Lord and of Christ, they still fall into these sins. And one of the greatest examples is Philippians 4. Philippians starting in verse 1, really going through the majority of that chapter when he talks about these two ladies in particular. And that was one of the stories actually I was going to share with you is I always am amazed at this story because I had a situation very similar to this at one point. Um, but he says, he says, I entreat you die and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Two godly women, they've labored with him, were at odds with one another. There was a breakdown in, in their relationship. And Paul actually had to write this church and say, help them to agree in the Lord. Like, that's comforting to me, <laughs> that, that, that people who, who labor together in the gospel, even at times, can experience this. Um, so for your own heart and mind, for those that you're counseling, sometimes a good place to start when somebody's been sinned against is to help them stop and to acknowledge, yeah, we live in a sinful and we live in a fallen world and people do bad things we take the good things that God gives us. I always say to our congregation, I say, and we mess them, mess them up. Um, now, just coming to them and, and sharing that, that doesn't give people hope yet, okay? <laughs> um, what that does, though, I believe, is, is it gives them perspective on their situation at times. It can give them a footing and a grounding to say that, okay, this is a reality in our world. Because you want them just to kind of stop for a minute and take a look around them and say, yeah, you're going to experience this in life. But now where do we go from from here 
where what's the steps then that we that we take and so while they won't be filled with hope if you start at this place ultimately i do believe it will allow them to to take the moment and to recognize that yeah even they despite how they're feeling right now sometimes cause some of the problems that that they're experiencing so so now where do we go well now i changed this up in your in your notes just a, just a little bit but i believe the next important step that we need to help people do is is understand that reconciliation what we just defined earlier this call that we're called to be reconciled to one another is possible because of the gospel that there is is hope as counselors as believers in the lord we want people to know that no matter the depths of someone's sin against them or their sin against somebody else the gospel comes to us and says that there is hope hope that we can be reconciled not only to god first and foremost but that we can be reconciled to one another ultimately it is the gospel that offers hope for people in the midst of of conflict and so you saw what we talk about when we talk about reconciliation but here's where i think it's important for us to sometimes take those this is where i took that individual when he finally called me that night i started by telling him i said you know you got a lot going on right now and i helped him to identify that you know what he was having a really cruddy father's day that the sin of his wife had affected not just only him, but it affected his children, it affected those that were around him. And that, yeah, you know what, this was in a bad, bad place. But, but I said, you know what, what we need to start with, what is so important for us is to be able to, is to, is to take a look at our emotions, take a look at our thoughts, take a look at our circumstances, and say, is, are those the things that are supposed to lead us through that? Is that what's going to get us through right now? Is that what's going to give you clarity in the midst of your situation? Or do we need something greater than that? Are our feelings and our circumstances and our thoughts, are they always true? Are they always good? Are they always noble? Or can they sometimes lead us astray? And, and you know what? Honestly, I've yet to have one person when I come to them with, with that to be able to say, no, no, my, I always trust my feelings. I always trust. No, they, you know what? I mean, I've had guys that, and women that, that were just furious, and I make that comment to them, and then all of a sudden they, they actually kind of chuckle and they say, no, no, you know, I, my emotions sometimes get the better of me. It's amazing how, how God... How God if the Spirit is present in the middle, it gives a little bit of clarity, and that's where we can speak into their lives passages like this. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for, for a minute. Um, I would put forth that the reason that we or the person we're counseling does not ultimately seek out reconciliation or make that move towards reconciliation is because we believe that there is some sin, some action out there that is too great to be overcome. What this passage says is that's not true. And so reconciliation, I would put forth, isn't pursued when the gospel is not front and center. When our emotions, when our thoughts, when our circumstances are front and center, reconciliation is hindered. But if this is where we're, we come from, if this is a foundation that we have, then, then I think we have a good place. And so let me start in verse 17, then we're going to go backwards in a little bit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from who? From God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of what? Reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
This is one of those beautiful passages of Scripture that clearly artic articulates to us the movement of from God to us, not us to God, but God to us, and his amazing work through Jesus Christ of doing what? Of reconciling us to himself. Now Paul, in another section, Romans chapter 5, gives us an even deeper picture of the depths of the reconciling work of God. And that's why I say the gospel ultimately is that thing which when we come to it, when we point others to it, gives us hope, moves us towards reconciliation when we really understand it. Because we see that the gospel is this message of God reconciling us to himself. But look at the depths of that reconciliation. We see some of it here. We'll go back to that. But Romans 5, let me read this passage for you. It's been mentioned a couple of times in the conference. And I love Paul's progression. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He starts by saying that we were weak, but then he modifies that and he says that we were ungodly. You know what ungodly means, right? It means the opposite of whatever God is. <laughs> so, so whatever God is in his very being, in his character, in his nature, he is saying, Paul is saying to you and to me, you were the exact opposite of that. Can you get any further away <laughs> You know, think about a fracture in a relationship. When somebody does something, something to, to you, they've, they've gone against you, but, but not to the totality of this. Christ died for those who were completely against him, the opposite of everything that he is, everything that he stands for. for. And then Paul says, hey, let's, let's get real here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. He's like, I know there are some of you out there that would say somebody would die for them. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still, now he says another word, sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, there's another word, right? We're now weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and now we're enemies. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are again reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have received what reconciliation paul elaborates on this idea of of getting us to focus in upon that the work of god what is communicated in the gospel is that god is all about reconciliation and so when we make that point there that you see earlier that reconciliation is possible because of the gospel we know that we can be reconciled to one another because God has first done what? Reconciled us to himself. That's what people need to hear. That's what my heart needs to hear on a daily basis is that God is a God who is in the business of reconciling people to himself. And so the gospel tells me that there is no sin that someone has committed against me or me against them that is greater than the culmination of the mountains of the sins that I've committed against God. And so if we're trying to compare apples to apples here, what we need to first rest in and, and be able to reflect on is the good news of the gospel is my sins are, are far greater than any sin that somebody will do to me or I will do to them. And yet God made this movement of reconciling me to himself, not by me doing something, but by him coming to me first. I want to marinate my heart in that. I want to be mindful of that. I want to be mindful that because of his death, my sin is no longer counted 
against me. I want the counselee to see, and I want to be able to understand that because of my sin, I needed to be reconciled to God, and that's exactly what happened. Another precious passage, and I'll use that word precious because I think it is, is Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where again Paul comes and he talks to us and, and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, as daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You get the kind of a flavor of, of what it is that we want to we want our people to see, we want, to, we want them to be able to, to come and to remember, to reflect on what it is that God does, what God has ultimately done for, for them. See, we're the people who pursue reconciliation because God is the one who first sought to reconcile us. So there's hope. That's what we can offer people. We can come to them and we can, we can bring them to these passages and point to, to the truth to say, you know what? There is hope for you in the midst of what's going through that. But it, but it begins not by, not by me setting my eyes upon you and what needs to change in you and what needs to change in me, but first coming to the ground and to the foot of the cross and saying, we begin there. But here's now what I like to do, though. I've shared with you kind of the basis, if you will, for our reconciliation, why, why that's ultimately possible, possible in and through the gospel. But, but now let me talk through with you what I typically do with somebody in counseling to help them to get to see some of those things. And it really begins for us, I believe, in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I believe it's here that we can begin with what Paul does to help people move towards reconciliation in a very practical way. And so what I like to do to bring people along in the process of reconciliation is start by reading verse 14. And I ask them this question, what is it that Paul says guides his actions in all situations? So let me read like I would do with that counselee. What I did with that guy over the phone, actually, is, is I said, you know, let me just share with you from 2 Corinthians, just, just for a moment. And so he said, verse 14 says that Paul, when he's faced in every situation in life, he comes and he says, for the love of Christ controls us. One of the beautiful things that we can come to our counselees, to our own hearts and minds in a moment and say, what is controlling you? What is controlling me in the time? What is leading my actions? What's leading me? Is it my thoughts? Is it my emotions? Is it the circumstances? Or is it, as Paul says here, for the love of Christ controls us? Because that's what Paul says controls him. Now, this word for control, there's a couple of things that people sometimes get wrong in this passage. One is they think it's my love for Christ is what ultimately controls me. The direction in the Greek is of God's love for us, Christ's love for, for us. That's what Paul is saying. He says, Christ's love for me is the thing that ultimately controls me. And this word for control here, the, the word picture in the Greek is the picture of, 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 a, of a river, of rapids running down its course in a, in a twig, uh, a stick being thrown into that rapid. That twig, that stick doesn't have any control over where it's going. It's literally enveloped by the water, by the momentum of the current, and it goes wherever that current is going to go. And so what Paul is saying is Christ's love for me literally controls me in these situations. In all situations, it's, it's his love for me. And so what I'd like to do is I like to ask, according to this passage, what do you think we should look to do in a situation that we find ourselves today? What should guide or control our actions? Talk about talking somebody off the cliff for a minute. <laughs> That question right there, coming to them and just asking, saying, based upon what you see here, what do you think Paul, and more specifically, God's encouragement to you from his word would be today 
to lead you in, in what's happened. Somebody has sinned against you, they've hurt you, but what would God want to lead you? What would he want to be controlling you right now? Do you think it's your thoughts? Do you think it's your circumstances, your emotions? I've never had somebody not answer this truthfully. They've always come and they say, well, it's Christ and Christ's love for me. That's, that's what he would want. Now, getting them to verbally acknowledge that is one thing. Getting them to believe that, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So give yourself some room in that, all right? But we're, our job is ultimately to point them in love and gentleness to, to that truth. And so with that, what I'm hoping to do with this text is to get people to see what you see there in your notes is that Christ's love for the believer is to be the motivation for our actions. That's what, we're, that's what we want them to ultimately see. However you come to it, that's what you want to come to. And so this passage is very clear. So, so we see what Paul is saying here is, I don't have to be dependent upon my thoughts or emotions or circumstances. No, what is to guide me is the love that Christ has shown me. But why is Christ's love for us the thing that motivates and controls what we are to do? So that's the next question I'd like to ask him. Why is it his love for us that is to motivate and control us? And then I say, well, let's look at what the verse says next. Because, Paul says, we have concluded this. What Paul is saying here is that what he understands about the love that Christ has shown him is the reason that he is controlled by that love. So, so it's not a passive activity, right? It's, it's he knows that there is something very specific. He says, for the love of Christ controls me because I have concluded this. There is something that he knows about Christ and about how he has loved him that, uh, that is enabling Paul to be controlled by that. And so what does he say? Well, the text says right there, here's what he has concluded, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He says, because I've concluded this. I am so motivated and moved by Christ's love because I understand who he is and what he has done for me. What kind of love does Paul say Christ showed him, according to that text? For I've concluded this, that one has died for all, and he has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's a sacrificial love. Christ demonstrated his love through immeasurable sacrifice. And that's what you want to ask them. You say, okay, so, so Christ's love for us is to, to ultimately lead us and motivate us in this time. But, but let me ask you, how has Christ loved you according to what Paul says here? Well, he has sacrificed beyond anything that I could ever imagine. He actually gave his life. Yeah, he gave his life for you. And you can take them back to that Romans passage and say, and he didn't give his life for people who are nice and shiny and good and, the, and his friends. He gave his life for those who were his enemies, who were sinners, who were ungodly. And so we take them to those passages. And so at this point, I like to typically stop and ask people that I'm counseling the question of, okay, so, so we know that God has done this to you and he's done this for you so that you might be reconciled to himself, that you might have life. And so I'll typically ask the question, did it cost God to reconcile us to himself? And the answer to that is yes. It cost him greatly. It cost Christ his life. And so the next logical question is, is there the potential that it will cost us when we seek to be reconciled to others? Yes, there is a potential cost. Will it cost us more than it cost God? <laughs> no. no. Is there hope in that? Absolutely. God's not going to ask you. He's not going to ask your counselee. He's not going to ask me to, to sacrifice more than what he's already sacrificed for, for us. He's gone before us. We have a high priest who is able to do what? To, 
to sympathize with us because he's gone through us. People need to need to hear that. So reconciliation is possible because of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we are we understand that we're not led by our thoughts and our emotions, but by Christ's love for us. Because we know that Christ's love for us cost him his life, so we wouldn't experience death. See, this is what you get to come. This is what you get to bring to somebody who has been hurt. And they, Remember, I'm talking tonight, Just now I'm not talking about the full reconciliation process. I'm talking about those who, who just need to make that first step, who are on the ledge of completely dropping everything, you know, burning the boats and going away, right? Um, because we'll often be faced with that. There are some, there are some, oh man, a dear brother today was talking, talking with me and, uh, and he was just sharing with me his heart and he was saying in his own heart, he is, he's harboring. We're talking about what I was going to be sharing. And he says, I want to be honest with you, Dave. He says, I've been harboring bitterness against somebody for, for, for an extended period of time. I have not pursued reconciliation. Now they see them often and they'll engage with them, but, but, but deep down in their heart, they, they feel like there's a brokenness there and they're just putting on the mask day by day to get through when they see that individual. And, and, and so, so we're not just talking about extreme cases, but we're talking day to day. People need to hear, hear these truths, but here's where then the hope comes for that person, right? Because we've talked about what it is that Christ done, but then you take them to verses 16 and 17. And here Paul goes on to say this, from now on, therefore, because of what Christ has done for us, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What's Paul saying there? That's what you asked the council. What, what's Paul saying? Is he not potentially saying that, that in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, there would be the propensity to still deal with people an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? But he's saying that Christ, because of how he's loved you, what he's done and how he's reconciled you to God, he has now done something that makes you to be able to engage in this situation completely different than you would have before you knew him. Paul is actually giving us an example of what it means to be controlled by Christ's love. He's saying you couldn't pursue reconciliation. You couldn't make a movement towards that person if Christ hadn't done this for you. And that's why then he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. No greater joy for me as a counselor than to look at somebody and to be able to say, you are new. You're a new creation. Those things that, that bound you before, those ways, those patterns of living that you felt were so necessary to survive, God says that's part of the old way and it's passed away. You now have Christ. You have this new way, this new life. And so Christ's immeasurable sacrifice wasn't just a sacrifice that simply reconciled us to God, but it, it, as it says there, Christ's immeasurable sacrifice has given the believer a new life. Now this cuts both ways, right? Because then what you can help people begin to see is, you know, within the love of Christ, if that's the thing that's controlling you, one of the ways that you know whether or not Christ's love is controlling you is whether or not in this moment, are you viewing that person <laughs> through the lenses of, of how you would have used to look at them, how you would have used to handle this situation? Or are you looking at that person? Are you handling this situation in the fruit of the Spirit and the newness of how you are? <laughs> Do you want to know how right now, if you're living out the newness that you are in Jesus Christ? That's where I love Galatians. And, and I love the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's such a great litmus test for, for our own hearts and for those who are counseling. You can ask them, say, Do you feel like you're living out as a new creation? I've had people come to me and say, Absolutely. 
You know, I mean, they've sinned against me. I, you know, I'm just trying to hold it all together here. You know, I'm just doing the best that I can. I say, I can understand that. I can understand. But I believe that Christ, through his spirit, can help you even more than he's helping you now. By being dependent upon his grace, let me ask you the question. Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control in your behavior right now? Is, is that what you're feeling towards this person? No, that's not what I'm feeling. You know, the Bible says that that's the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And so if you feel that those things are absent, then maybe what's happening is that we've lost sight of Christ's love for us right now. We've lost sight of what it is that he's done, the immeasurable sacrifice that, that has been, been paid. Because when we're living in that, we are living in this new life. We are, we are that new creation. And so you, you want to help them to, to begin to see that and begin to, to experience that newness of that life. And that's where you say, but look, it's not dependent upon you to make this happen. Because what does verse 18 say? All this is from whom? God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are righteous. You are holy. Even though right now you might, you might not be responding in the way, in Christ you are righteous. He has forgiven you of, of your sins. Are you embracing this truth of who you are really in him, that you have been forgiven, that you have been redeemed? Are you trying to do this in your own strength? Are you depending back upon the gospel and back upon the God who saved you in the first place? Because you're not going to get through it in your own strength and in your own power. It comes back to looking to him time and time and time again. And that's why I believe that reconciliation is possible because of the gospel, because it helps us to be able to begin to see that, that we as believers can and are controlled by Christ's love for us if we look to him, if we are mindful of that. Our job as counselors is to begin to ask people to get them to see in those moments when they feel the most hurt and the most brokenness is to remind them of the great sacrifice that Christ made on their behalf because of their own sin and because of the way that they broke things and how he made that movement towards them and, and did the work fully for them, not asking anything of them in return. And, and it's in those moments when we can get people to begin to see and to acknowledge that, that then hearts begin to be softened and God is doing that work, reminding them of that new creation and then they're able to take those first steps towards, towards reconciliation. But I have yet to be able to find a person who's able to experience true reconciliation, true forgiveness, true, true healing without first making Christ the foundation of why they're doing what, what they're doing. And so I was actually at lunch um, today and, and we were talking uh, about this topic and somebody asked me the question and they said, Dave, do you think that, that sometimes what people do is, is they first try and get people to be reconciled to one another without first making sure that people understand their reconciliation with God? And I say, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we're so eager in those moments to get people to work things out that we don't take the time to fight with those individuals who are, who are really suffering in pain and pain and get them to do the hard work of saying, but do you first recognize how much Christ has done for you so that you could be reconciled to God? That's where the hard work is because if people have that, if people see that, then they can begin to take those steps of reconciliation. And going back to um, that story um, and the gentleman as he was in the desert that night as we were on the phone, and I shared uh, a number of these things with him. 
that was ultimately the point that, that, we, that we came to. As we said, do we want in this moment to have any other foundation for your actions? I said, I can't promise what the end result is going to be. But do you want your actions to be based on anything other than a, a God who loves you and who has done the work of reconciling you to himself? And he said, no. No, I, I want that to be the center of, of everything that happens from this point forward. And I said, I said, amen to that, brother. I, I said, but let me tell you something. That is going to be a daily fight for you, a daily battle for your mind. Because Paul said at the very beginning, the love of Christ controls me because I have concluded this. And so I went back and I shared that with him. He says, it's what he's concluded. You're going to have to come back to that time and time again. You're going to have to be reminding yourself daily as you look to extend forgiveness to a spouse who is desperately calling out for it, who is genuinely re repentant. In order for you to truly forgive, it's, it's going to be dependent upon you to remember how much you have been forgiven each and every day. Because once you extend that forgiveness to your spouse, it's now no longer on her to make those things right. It's, it's on you. As you offer up that forgiveness, you're taking that debt back upon yourself, just like God took it upon himself for, for you. And we ended up meeting. Finally, when he came back and, and we were able to meet together and, and be able to engage one another in conversation, I sat them both down. It was amazing to see the work that God had done in that short period of of time and we talked and I said you know what I'm actually gonna be on vacation for a week that's always a nerve-wracking thing right as a counselor sometimes like you know you can take the place of God you know you want to be there you want to be available for them and sometimes you got to say all this is from God not all this is from David Wojnicki right this ability to be reconciled all this comes from God not me so I said I'm gonna be gone for a week I said I will tell you this though because I'm be vacationing with family feel free to call me at any time it's a family reunion no I'm teasing uh, I did say that though uh, but I said I said no if, if things get really bad I said feel free to call me and and the first day I was like okay no 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 phone call okay this is this good second day third day fourth day it was literally one week and that was like kind of a new record for those that I, that I've counseled this situation It was one week where I finally got the call and and again his thoughts and anxieties had built up inside of him and he had to leave the home and so she called and she said he took his work bag and he packed uh you know a suitcase and he said he couldn't do this anymore he was too tired he was too exhausted and 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 he left and i said well i'll give him a call you know i said i, I said sadly i said i've seen people go through this before i said don't you know don't make this bigger than what it needs to be right now because this is difficult he's learning what it is to conclude these things about Christ and Christ's work for him and putting that into practice. And sure enough, he, he finally called me and I said, hi, how's it going, buddy? And, and he, said, he said, ah, it's been a really rough day. And I said, why has it been a rough day? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's because I just, you know, I'm having a hard time, you know, really forgiving her. And I just keep, you know, struggling, you know, for about the feelings that she had for this individual. And I said, oh, I said, let me just stop you there for a minute. I said, you know what's so interesting? I said, you, you, the English language is a beautiful thing. I said, what did you just say to me? And he said, well, I said, I was just really struggling with the feelings that she had for him at the time. I said, I said, yeah, yeah. What was that word again? That's a past tense word, the feelings that she had for, for him. I said, what, what are you doing? He says, oh, oh I'm going back to the past. I said, and you forgive, forgave her for that, right? And he said, yeah. I said, and, and who forgave you for all the sins that you did in the past? He says, 
God's done that for, for me. So does he keep bringing those things back in, or, or does, does he look to you right now as you stand righteous and, and holy? Even though you keep on sinning, he says he looks at me as righteous and, and holy through Jesus Christ. I said, amen. And by the end of that phone call, he's like, he's like uh, I need to go home now. And I said, yeah, you need to go home. <laughs> and he went back home, and I, the next day, the wife texted me, and she said, she says, he, he came back home, and he, she said, it's wonderful. And then he texted me later on, and he said, just pray, praise the Lord, he's helping me. As I as I look to Christ, and I and I just you know it's one God gives you one every so often, right? And you just say, praise the Lord. Is it going to be a struggle for them? Yeah, anytime, anytime you walk through that, especially something like that, it's going to be it's going to be a struggle. But but here's where I ultimately want to I want to close us uh, tonight, and that's and that's with some of these things. You see there that what does it mean for us as as counselors? Uh, what I hope you walk away from is, is this, is that the gospel motivates us towards reconciliation. First and foremost, and I changed these around. I don't know how they got goofed up in the notes, but the last one is actually the first one. Um, C should be A. Reconciliation is possible. We should leave here tonight and every single day when somebody comes to us in the midst of their brokenness and their pain and in their hurt to be able to say yes and amen to the truth that reconciliation is possible no matter how great the sin Reconciliation possible. Why? Because of what we've seen thus far, what we have concluded about how God through Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself. Reconciliation is possible. But secondly, that we as biblical counselors, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that reconciliation is to always to be grounded in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The motivation, what is to lead and to guide us as we look to point people towards reconciliation with one another, it must always be grounded in helping them to see their relationship with Jesus Christ and how God is a God who's all about reconciliation. It, it begins it begins there. And as counselors, we must present to our people this truth that, that rec- reconciliation, ultimately it's not an optional pursuit. Why do I say that? Look at verse 18 in this text. I've been kind of saving this till now. Some of you have probably already noticed it. But all this is from God, Paul says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. What is the ministry that every believer in Jesus Christ has? The ministry of reconciliation. Not just getting people to be reconciled to God. That is the, the, would be one of the main focuses of this text, but I think we have to use it broader because God's the God of reconciling us to himself. He's also a God who desires us to be reconciled to one another. And then I think this is why, as he goes on to say, the, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of what? Reconciliation. He's entrusted you and he's entrusted me with this message. Reconciliation is not an optional pursuit because then as verse 20 says, therefore we are, oh, I love this verse. It's really the, the heartbeat of, of the ministry that I believe God has called me to. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You and I are ambassadors. We've been given that title. You can't not choose to be this ambassador. You can't reject the president's, you know, call upon you to say, hey, would you go and be the ambassador here? This is one of the things that God has made you that. You're stamped. You're an ambassador for, for God. And so as counselors, we need to go into our counseling sessions with those and understanding that it, at, we need to help our people begin to see this. And so I close with this, though. Based upon the truths of God's word that we've seen thus far, 
something that we want to help our people see that we want them to work through in a passage like this you can you can begin to extrapolate each one of these things we want them to see that because of the reconciling work of Christ I take the first step I don't wait for the other person to take the first step if, even if I was the one who sinned against you God calls me based upon this to take the first step why because who took the first step towards us that God took that first step towards us. And because of the reconciling work of Christ, I see that I don't need the other person to change in order to take that first step, right? I'm not going to you thinking that if I pursue reconciliation with you, if you've sinned against me, I'm not going to you thinking that what I'm going to do is going to make you change. I don't need you to change in order to take that step. Because God came, and again, his model of reconciliation is he came towards us in that while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, unlike our work, Christ's work never returns void. It's going to accomplish its purpose. But thirdly there, because of the reconciling work of Christ, I also don't believe that we can both change. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. There's hope in that. I also don't need you to change, but I also believe that you can change, and I can change in that process. And fourthly, because of the reconciling work of Christ, I will seek out the good of the other person. That's a hard one. I mean, that is, that is, that is hard, and yet it, we know that that's exactly what, when I'm concluding about what Christ has done for me, that's what he did for me, didn't he? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and rose from the dead. How beautiful is that? And so I can seek that other person's good. To not pursue reconciliation with them is to not seek their good, right? Just to leave them in their sin and to not go. That's why Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, right, go to him. Tell him his fault that you might be what? <laughs> Reconciled, restored to your brother. And then finally, because of the reconciling work of Christ, I will not try and change the other person. I won't take those means necessary to try and change them. That is a work, again, going back to this, it says all this is from God. God's the one who's going to do that. I'm in faithfulness going to take those steps, going to trust him with what the process process is. Um, now, where you go from here, there's a lot of other great resources for this, right? The peacemaking resources, there's, there's books downstairs as far as, in, okay, how do we go about asking for forgiveness? I can talk to you uh, afterwards about some of the things um, that we can do if we've been sinned against, but, but I'm just trying tonight to help us to see that reconciliation, it's possible with the help of God and the hope of the gospel and that our reconciliation is to be grounded in Christ's work for us. And that ultimately, if we're in Christ, doesn't matter who you are, it's not an optional pursuit. But praise be to God that he was the one that did the work first, that he made us those new creations so that we can be a people driven by the gospel to pursue reconciliation with others, no matter how grievous that sin, no matter how light that sin, for the glory of his name and for the good of all people. Amen. Let me, let me pray for us, and if you have any questions afterward, I'd be more than happy to, to talk with you. Lord, anytime I share a message like this, um, I'm tempted to fear, honestly, Lord, because um, I know that these are difficult things and that you're probably going to give us opportunities to, to see this applied in our own lives. Um, because, Lord, we live in that fallen world that we talked about, Lord. Help us, though. To not be afraid, but to go out into a broken, into a fallen world with the hope of the gospel, first and foremost in our own hearts, concluding daily and reflecting daily upon the beautiful, gracious work of Christ on our behalf, that we would have great boldness, Lord, when we've been hurt, 
when, the, when others have sinned against us, to be able to go and to be reconciled to our brothers, to, to pursue that, Lord, and to leave the results of change in their lives and in our lives up, up to you, but to not be afraid to engage in that way because that is how you engaged us. And so we praise you, Lord, for this, for this truth, for this hope that we get to leave here today knowing the most glorious truth of all, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom, Lord, I'm the greatest, as Paul would say. And so, Lord, um, be with my brothers and sisters as they go from this place tonight, Lord. May their um, rest uh, be sweet, and may they be refreshed um, with the words that they have heard. So we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.